Growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve podcast. Here's your host. Welcome to another episode of the How We Solve show. I'm really excited to have Pierce today on the call. He's the founder and president of Caliber Security Partners. Caliber was created in 2010 and provides cybersecurity services to enterprise clients and emerging technology companies. He sits on the advisory boards of 3P&T Security Recruiting, Tradeware, and Drug-Free Business. We are nerding out on a topic that's very close to my heart today. So I'm very excited to have you on the show tab. Do you want to fill in the picture a little more to give us a little bit of your background? I can give you a little bit more. I also founded a company called Refiners. I think it was about about October of last year. Another thing I've got going on. But otherwise, you did a pretty good job just encapsulating everything that I do. Curiosity, what does Refiners do? It's ever-changing. Just like anything else, we're trying to figure out exactly what it is we do and where we fit. And I have this habit of overdoing stuff, jumping in like all the way into things. And so Refiners is really a peer-to-peer networking community. And it's morphed into a community of people that help each other stay accountable. The reason why I say I kind of dive in and jump in, I don't know if it'll be an annual conference because it's a freaking lot of work, but we held a conference in February. We had 16 speakers over two days. It was both virtual and live and with some pretty, pretty phenomenal speakers that, that ended up speaking to us. And people were like, you guys are doing it way too early. You shouldn't do it this early. And I'm like, what is there like a book on this? So you just do stuff that feels natural. It's, it's, it's very funny in terms of your vision, mission, values, not like me and you like holding people accountable. I actually have a program called Managing Happiness where I help people to figure out their personal mission, vision, core values, their goals, and also their habits. And because I'm a big bit of habits determine everything in your life, if you're rich, poor, happy, unhappy, obese in shape, it's all boils down to which habits you cultivate. And we also do this in peer groups of eight people and people hold each other accountable to stick with the habits, to work towards the goals, to regular updates, et cetera. So, yeah, that's a great subject for this discussion because it just all ties in really well with how do you hold yourself accountable? How do you prepare this idea of turning every opportunity or everything into an opportunity or, or whatever? It's catchy. But there's a lot of depth to that. And I think that's what you're talking about. And also, obviously, what I believe in. Yeah, absolutely. I can give you a story from the security world, as I mentioned before the call. In my last business, which was MacCDN, the content delivery network, and we hosted 6 million websites or so on our network. And somebody hacked into our system and compromised an account. And this account was responsible for all our open source sponsorings that we had. Bootstrap CDN and a few other JavaScript libraries on there. So they start injecting malware through this network. And you can imagine that this, you know, is not a good look for us and not good to anybody aside from the guy who was spreading this. So it was like also, oh, this really sucks. What do we do? And it's actually, if you, as you say, turning every problem into an opportunity, if you really dig into this and we, we dug really deep into this, like, how can we prevent something like this from ever happening again? And then we end up building a bunch of security features like two-step auth, et cetera, and certain alerts that makes this will never be able to happen again. And actually due to these features, we won a lot of contracts. Yeah, that's really the story. When I saw that 
you put up there all on LinkedIn about $750,000 in debt that we were in at one point in time and the changes we had to go, it was things that we did based upon that, that really impacted the company, but me personally. And it's interesting because I was having a conversation with Naveen Jane. I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with Naveen. He founded Infospace, Intellius, TalentWise, and now he has two companies, Moon Express and a company called Bio. But the dude's a multi-billionaire. And I was talking to him about how an event happened to this person. And it was like one of the most traumatic, worst days of their life. And he shut me down. I was like, no, 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 no. Don't label anything. Don't ever label it. And he goes, when you label it, you've made a decision that it's the worst thing. And as he's talking to me, I'm like, man, I'm glad I didn't tell him because what I had done up to that point in time, when we found out that the company was $750,000 in debt, it wasn't like some slow roll. It wasn't like, Hey man, I think this is going on. It was like our internal accountant, who's now the president of my company. We got that close where he just elevated throughout this process to the point where he was running the company. So I moved in just CEO and he was the president, but he set me down and he was like, Hey, you've got to listen. I've been trying to get through to you. I remember sitting down going, I'm going to once again have to tell him it's not as bad as he thinks it is. But it was him that got it into me that it is bad. So I went to work that day. Everything was fine. Left that day going, I think I'm done. Anybody who's listening will be like, man, I don't believe it. Fortunately, $250,000 of that was owed to the IRS. And the IRS does not forgive debt. And so the best way I had to pay off $250,000 in debt was to make my company work, make things happen, make things grow. I say fortunately because people are like, oh, it's really cool that you didn't file bankruptcy. It's like, I filed bankruptcy because I had owed 250 grand to the IRS. Don't, let's not paint me into being a saint. But the reason why I bring that up is because I wrote a book. I started another company. I start having discussions with people that I've never had discussions with. And like Naveen Jain and a bunch of others, I'm having these like really high level discussions. My company's stronger than it had ever been. We're bigger and we're stronger, more profitable. All of these things. I'm a better leader. And even in the back of my head, I still labeled that as the worst day of my life. It was during that time with Naveen where I went, oh, you know what? I flipped the switch and I went, that was actually short of like my marriage and having children and things like that. It was probably the best day of my life. So we, we have to be willing to allow the really bad things to impact us for good. And that's what I mean by turning things into an opportunity. A friend of mine gave a talk at Toastmasters. You're familiar with Toastmasters? It's like a public speaking thingy. You know, I used to be very, very introverted and this really helped me to recovering introvert. And he gave this talk about, he said, we all have to go through hard times and we have to decide if we are precious metal or if we are wood. If we're wood, we burn down to ashes. If we're precious metal, we get refined through the fire. Yeah. And it's interesting that he talks about the refiner's fire. That's how we came up with the name refiners. So the intent is to refine to the refiner's fire. But you know what? What you say is, are we precious metal or we wood? It sounds really good. But if we don't prepare ourselves ahead of time for when things happen and how we're going to allow that to happen, how it's going to impact us, then when things happen, we melt or we burn. I don't know if you're familiar with something called 75 hard or not. I've done it once. I've started several other times, but I, I'm like on day 28 of it again. I, there's a reason why people are like, why would you do that? And my wife's on the right of our house in Mesa. 
and the air conditioner's busted. I'm in the house right now, drove my wife to a hotel. It's 95 degrees upstairs right now, okay? I'm in a freaking sauna, okay? But yesterday, as this whole thing came down, my first thought was, I don't have the energy to do the exercising part of 75 heart. And I could just feel myself starting to go down the habit or the pathway of, I'll just restart it. You start to justify like why you're not going to do it. And I I was up till 10 o'clock last night, exercising and getting my water in and all of that stuff. Because before any of this happened, I had made a commitment to myself that I know for a fact, things are going to come up. You always have to know that something's going to get in your way. It's going to start to derail you. There's always something. And so you have to be mentally prepared to just go when that something happens, I got to handle that. I got to do that. And it's not going to be pretty, but I'm going to meet my goals and objectives. I'm going to do what I need to do. We have to be really good at telling ourselves that we're not going to give ourselves a break. My sister passed away, I think six weeks ago. It's emotional and all of that stuff. I'm not going to, I wasn't like, man, I got my day set. I got my goals going on. I got this. I'm going to schedule my morning and I'm going to schedule my dealing with family tomorrow because today's already set. I'm not suggesting we get stupid. I'm saying, barring the unusual that happens, we got to stay the course. And even then I stayed the course. I just had to be much more diligent in what I was doing. Something that helps me trans, and we talked before about habits, that habits determine everything in your life. I have a gratitude habit exercise. So every morning I pick up a stone that reminds me of doing my gratitude exercise. And I've been doing this for 15 years or so that every morning I go through the things I'm grateful for, which brings me to an all is well state of mind. And then throughout the day, I sometimes I get stressed out and I feel the stone in my pocket. At the end of the day, I always go through what went great this day because often you have a very good morning, very productive, whatever. And then at 5 p.m. you have an unpleasant conversation with your spouse, an employee, a customer, or your accountant telling you're $750,000 in the hole. But there's still good stuff that happened this day. So my wife and I work closely together. And she doesn't work for my company, but we work closely together. And we're always like checking on each other and seeing how we're doing. And so we started doing this thing years ago. We started doing it because when Caliber was going through this thing, she was like doing this constant pulse check because I would get the entrepreneurial version of bipolar. And we started doing this thing. What's your frequency? I was like one to 10, one to 10, what's your frequency? And it actually got to the point where we were getting 10 so much. We were like, okay, this isn't working anymore. It's now it's one to 12. We're going to keep bumping that up. But one of the things that when we get too low and it's obvious When you're around somebody, you start to see their countenance change. You see the facial expressions and you see that. So you know that, hey, something's not right. And so one of us will go to the others. Okay, tell me 10 things you're grateful for. Say, talk about your gratitude. Or depending upon the depth of our despair, we'll break it down into segments. Tell me 10 personal things. Tell me 10 business things, whatever. And we wouldn't allow each other to like name each child. I'm grateful for this child. We'd like, no, you have to lump your children together. Because we have four kids, you're not going to use four of your 10 slots saying you're grateful for your kids kind of thing. But when people talk about what did it take to get out of that debt, depending upon the size of a company, $750,000 is either a colossal amount like it was for us, but whatever your $750,000 equivalent is, it's an emotional beast. And the things that you have to do to get emotionally prepared to do it 
and then the things that you have to do to actually make changes, it's a challenge. These are the steps I need to take to start and gratitude was one of them. Perfect. With how we solve, we always have like, what are we solving? And then the steps on how we solve it. So how do you solve to get into this mindset that you can turn every problem into an opportunity? What, what are the steps to achieve this? The first thing is, I think, create a baseline. You had alluded to this like system that I created, which I called the opportunity pipeline. I just bring that up right now because what led me to this was cynicism. I was driving to the office with my wife one day and I had all these to-do lists, these critical tasks, all these things that needed to be done. And they were just mounting. And I just remember driving to the office with my wife, she had, she had at the time at our office. And I just remember going, I'm tired of these critical tasks. I'm tired of these to-do lists. I'm tired of all these fires. I said, you know what I need is more opportunities. And I jokingly said, you know what? I need everything to be an opportunity. I was being cynical, kind of being funny. I said, yeah, that person needs me to pay them X amount of money. Well, that's an opportunity. Oh, this client's unhappy. Well, that's an opportunity. I need everything to be an opportunity as I'm tired. And I wasn't building to that. I was actually building towards healing because I was just fed up. But by the time we got to the parking garage and parked, I was like, man, I feel oddly good. I didn't set out to do that. I just set out to vet, but I feel pretty good. And so the first thing I think people need to do is to realize that gratitude does play a huge part. It really does. That's one of the things that I always tell people is just learn to be grateful because it's really difficult to be grateful and to not see the goodness and the possibilities that could be in your life. So I'm glad you mentioned that. The other one is to realize that you have more time to get things going than you think you do. There's this tendency to like want to rush into doing things. You want to get it done right away, get it done, especially when you feel like you're in pain. And sometimes you get to step back and allow things to materialize and give yourself time to think. And, and that's the other thing is giving yourself time to have thinking time and to really look at everything. And I think once you start to do that, you can build a baseline of how are things really. And as an example, you know, we owe that money that we owed was to 18 different, it was businesses, it was government agencies, it was individuals, it was just, it, there was a lot. And we were behind on everybody. Nobody was special and we weren't paying any, I mean, we just didn't have the money. And so each time I would set up a plan with somebody, hey, we're going to pay you and this one we're going to pay you. I felt beholden to them. I, mean, I was like, man, uh, we set up a time that we were going to pay you. We're not paying you. I feel like crap. I feel unworthy. I feel vulnerable. I feel like a fraud and a failure. And I got to go back to you and I got to say, Hey, I can't pay you. What I finally learned was not in a bad way, but in a way to help me heal and to help me pay people off was I had to learn that I had the power and that I was the bank. I had the money that they wanted. And so. They were beholden to me. I wasn't beholden to them. And once I started to make mental shifts like that, I started to have these just huge advancements. Now, some of them were much more appeasing to what I wanted to do. And some of them were not. We had a hard money lender that basically did everything but physically break my legs. They were brutal to say the least. And they were the last ones I paid off. And it was hard. Just to go with this mental shift, if you're making this shift from the victim to actually being in control, then you can actually act. Otherwise, it's like a victim mindset. You'll never be able to go anywhere. 
So I think it's it's really important shift. And another thing, in terms of taking thinking time, I want to give an anecdote from me. I always used to think, oh, I have to be in the office. I can't go to the gym. I can't go for a run. There's so much work to do. I got to be in the office. But once I took the time for me and to go on the run, to go to the gym, I get so many good ideas. So while I'm on a run, I solve so many knots in my head, have business solutions, et cetera, that it's really a big part of work. It's actually super important that I'm doing this. I'm not just to take some distance. I like that because there's this whole thing about I rise, I grind, I'm working, I'm working late. There's this mentality that a lot of entrepreneurs get. They're just like, I'm up here and everybody else is down here. I used to live that. And I used to be like a grinder. I do this, I do that. And I still work harder than anybody else. But there was a time that I wasn't working out. I wasn't taking care of myself. I was working late hours. I was trying to get everything done. And I show up to $750,000 in debt, over a hundred pounds more than I weigh right now. And it wasn't until I finally was like, you know what? I got to start doing stuff like taking care of myself and I have to do that. And you're right. You get this like all these thoughts, all these ideas and then when you allow yourself to do that. Irony is my business is going better. My life is going better. My marriage goes better. Everything goes better when I take care of myself. Healthy habits. And logically it makes no sense. You think it'd be like, hey, you're taking time. 75 hard is two 45 minute workouts a day. That's an hour and a half. Plus some reading. Yeah, also reading and, and Plus spending and a lot of time on the toilet. Plus you drink so much water. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all stuff. Fortunately, it's 95 degrees in here. So drink of water right now, it's like easy. So you say you have to take care of yourself. And that was one of the things that I had to teach myself when I was going through this because I kept thinking, my wife took my phone one time and said, let me have your phone. And she shut off all my notifications because I was going to, I was like in the heat of this battle of trying to get over $750,000 in debt. I was just like constantly trying to like be better and trying to do more and be responsive and do all this stuff. And like my phone would bing, I'd be like, oh, oh gotta look, man. Facebook alone will freaking bing you 50,000 times. That's not even my email. That's not even my text messages. So I shut all that stuff off. So I didn't have to deal with that. But it wasn't until that I started taking care of myself. Probably one of the biggest things, this is really big, is the realization that I am not my business. My business can be successful. My business can be a failure. It is not in any way me. So. That's important for people to realize that they're not their business. You mentioned something in terms of how to solve this. That's really important to find your colossal vision dream or goals and understand, you know, what it is and what you really want. So I'm curious if you have a defined mission statement or vision statement that you can share with us. And then like, how do you come up with it? I probably don't have one written down, but I can tell you what it is. My vision statement or my mission statement is that I am going to accomplish all of my goals, all my opportunities, everything at a minimum of 95% annually. I do that consistently year after year. And that is, I think New Year's resolutions get a bad rap and they get that because people don't know how to turn a resolution into an opportunity or into a goal and to really make that thing work for them. And so what they do is they just say, I'm going to lose weight. They say, no, you're not. I'm going to lose this month. No, you're not. Because you're not willing to look at what are all the obstacles that are going to come along in your way. 
And so I look at that opportunity pipeline that I created. I know what I'm doing down to the hour. And I know if I'm off schedule or not. And today I'm off schedule. I just am. I had to pack my wife up into our vehicle and had her take her to the hotel because she doesn't like 95 degrees. Like an hour of my day is shot doing that, but I'm going to make it up. And so it's the ability to see what's coming and make sure that I complete all of my goals. Okay. That may not be a good mission statement, but that's what it is. You're on a mission to complete what you're setting out to do. Yeah. I usually set some big goals. I'll tell you two of them. This year, one of them was, is that I had gone to my wife and said, I want to buy a house in Arizona because I'm tired of the, the winters, the falls and winters in Seattle. So we did that and we bought this house in Mesa and that was one of my goals. And we had to jump through a lot of hoops to make that happen. The other one is, is for refiners. I wanted to have 200 paid members and we're not going to, and am I willing to fudge on that goal? I am in a little bit. And that is if I can have a similar group that has 200 paid members, I'll take that. I'm not going to reduce my 200 members, but I'm going to get through that. So I'm in very, 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 very early stages of negotiating with a company that is similar in, in ways to refiners that has, I think, 300 members. If I can turn that around, I'll take that as my goal. Those are things that I look at as like, how can I do big goals, not little goals? I like that. By the way, Matitz just asked, Ted, how many goals do you set per day? Is it only one, like a big rock, or do you set multiple goals per day? Because you said you plan it down to the hour, so I'm also curious. Yeah, it's a great question. I set six. It's pretty simple. And I call them opportunities. Six major opportunities a year. I have six major opportunities a month that happen to impact the year. I have six major opportunities a week that impact the month, and of course, and impact the year. And then I set six major opportunities a day or goals that impact and flow down into those. And I chose six because that's what was meaningful to me. I mean, I thought four was too little. I can do six because I've got six always there. Seven automatically like tips the scale and it's too much. So six, that's my magic number. Yeah. Thank you for asking this, Matthias. I really like this. I may adopt this as well. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And on that opportunity pipeline, it's in development. It started off as an Excel spreadsheet. And then now it's available on Android and iPhone. And it's a little bit clumsy, just to be completely honest. But we, we built off the website. The website is 80% of the way done. And we're just working on the dashboard. And then anybody can enter the data into the website. And then it'll populate out to the app. And then that's when the app becomes useful. Otherwise, it's just a lot of typing. Of clicking. And this is what you talk about. This opportunity pipeline is what you call about in AppSearch, the book that you wrote? Yeah, it is. I do training on it. I do four-week courses. I think my next one's coming up on September 1st. I used to just go like, hey, this is how you use it. This is the opportunity pipeline. This is how you use it. And what I found is when I do that, people like get overwhelmed by it because it's a lot of information because they don't know how to break it down. But mostly it's that they're just not committed to their own goals. Now, this is why I'm like really big on this like vision to reality. It's like you got to get people to understand. For me, it was like, we're going to buy a house in Arizona. It's pretty simple. You just find a realtor, you find a mortgage thing and you go for that. 
it's not that easy. It's not that simple. I knew that there were going to be obstacles that came along and I just had to be prepared to like handle those obstacles. And even to the point of like stupid things, like the mortgage company coming up and saying, if you're in Arizona and how are you going to run your business? Wait, you guys have internet in Arizona, right? Well, we're good. I'm in Turkey right now and we have 300 employees all over the world and we don't even have a headquarter anymore. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we got it. I mean, we have an office, we have a physical location. Hardly anybody ever comes to anymore. And that's the other thing. They're like, what are you going to do with your storefront? We don't have a storefront, but it would have been really easy to like allow these things to impact me and just forget it. I'm not going to do it. But I went into it going, this is not going to be an easy thing. It's going to be hard. And I just have to be prepared to deal with it. And that's part of it is really believe in what you're going to do, but also be so committed to what your goal is that you're willing to stop and say, I'm committed to this. And there's going to be a lot of obstacles along the way. And I just need to be prepared. And what am I going to do when this happens? What am I going to do when that happens? Because that's what people don't do. People look at their goals and they're like, I'm going to do this thing. It's like, everybody's like, no, I just want a straight line. It's like, that's not how life is. One thing that helps me when setting goals is thinking about the why, like, why do I want this? For example, if I want to lose X kilograms or gain X kilograms or like have a million dollars in the bank account, like. It's just a number, so it's not a motivating why, but if I want to feel good without a t-shirt on at the beach or something like this. Yeah, I don't want little kids to scream when I take my shirt off. I'm, I'm not a walking <laughs> horror show, yeah. <laughs> or I want X million dollars, it's just a stupid number, but if I want to have it because I want to buy a house, I want to do X, Y, Z, then you know you have an emotional connection to it and it makes it much easier to actually stick to something even though it may be a little harder. You're right. We need to think of like, why am I doing this? Why do I want this? Because I've set goals and my, my goals are very specific. They used to be like, I want to lose 30 pounds. And then I'm like, have I lost any yet? How much of that 30 pounds have I lost? I don't even know that. So I don't even know how far I'm in it. Why, why do I want to lose 30 pounds? I think being specific with a goal, like really specific. And then in addition to that, not only just understanding your why, but when Mm -hmm. Yeah, smart goals, specific, measurable, attainable, and time-based, right? Yeah. One of the things I'm fascinated with Naveen Jane, the guy's just, to me, amazing. Well, he asked himself four questions. One of them, I have a hard time asking, and you'll figure out why. One of them is, why me? When he's looking at taking on a new venture or maybe a new goal or whatever, why me? Why this? Why now? And then the fourth one is, will it impact a minimum of a billion? And that's the one I have a hard time with. I'm just being canned. I'm not there yet. You know what I mean? I, but the first three, I always ask myself, why is this important? And why now? I think if we could start asking that, it's, you know, as an example, when I had all this weight to lose, I want to lose 130 pounds. And I've lost, I think, 105 of that, 130. Now I'm like, now that I'm closer, I'm like, do I really want to lose 130? So we got to be willing to allow our goals to change because that was something I could measure at the time. But now that I'm closer to that, I'm like, is the weight loss important or is it the overall health? And how do I measure that? And the truth is, it's overall health for me. But at the time, I couldn't say I want to have overall health. It was the only thing I could do is just measure that I needed to lose a crap ton of weight. So Yeah, totally Kate, that you can adjust just goals. Yeah. And the one thing that I do is I set up a goal every year, the goals, and I don't allow myself to wholesale change a goal. My objective is if I give a lot of thought and I give a lot of direction to something, I really go into it. I start looking at my coming year's goals about October. 
So I give myself about 90 days to really think about it, really percolate on it, really come up with some great things. If they're really good, why should I change them? Now, like I said, I will say like with refiners, it's like, no, I'm trying to build a community. And so if I can't reach it this way, maybe I could reach the real objective another way. I'm willing to do that. As an example, maybe I would have been willing to say, my wife and I went to Sarasota, Florida, and man, we just, we thought we loved Arizona, but we loved Florida more. I would have made that shift. Am I willing to do Mesa or Sarasota? That part's okay. But I wouldn't be willing to say that's not important because if it was important enough for me then, it's important enough now. Now, maybe I'll add something, but I'm not taking anything away. Yeah, it's tough. It's the same thing with the still doing the 75 heart when like I went on runs at close to midnight in the rain, in the dark, because I didn't do my second thing yet. Yeah. 75 heart is a weird thing. And I get people like, why would you do that? And I did it because it was a weight. I looked at it as a way to push my weight loss and, and it did. But this time I did it because there was a couple of things going on in my life at the time. I'd mentioned my sister had passed away and I had, Caliber had the worst client that we had had in, in 10 years. It was the worst client that I'd ever had in 35 years. And so those two things just like really took me out of my game. I went back, I was looking for something that I could like put a stake in the ground and go, this is it. So to me, 75 hard was putting a stake in the ground. This is something that like very rigid in what you have to do. That's why I did it. But of course, what it did is that allowed me to focus on all these other objectives I have. I'm constantly looking at one of my opportunities that I have for this year is to complete my second book. I'm behind schedule to do that this year. Can you cheat and use a ghostwriter? I could. To me, that'd be a reasonable cheat, except for the fact that I like to write. I want to write my own stuff. And so basically what that means is that I either have a couple of different options. I either don't do my goal or I do my goal. And it's pretty simple. And I don't miss goals. And especially here we are in August, I'm going to have to make changes in order to reach that goal. And I will. And part of the reason why I say that is because there's a study that was done that talks about the likelihood that you're going to actually complete your goal. It's like, it's 10% if you just think about it and it just goes up to 95%. If you basically tell the world. If you tell a friend, if you tell the world, and also there was another one, if you have a peer group that holds you accountable, it makes it like, you know, even. It goes to 95%. That's why I tell everybody, that's why I say it. It's like, look, I'm behind schedule because the more I say it, the more I, I either become disingenuous with myself, which gives me an out and I'm not willing to take that or guess what? I'll finish the book. But it's also a personality based thing. I read somewhere that some people, they get excited from sharing their work on XYZ and this gives them satisfaction that they talk about it and then they lose the drive to actually complete the goal. So I think there's, you know, also a trap in it. But I'll tell you one more thing that I learned. I don't know about women. I don't think women are this way, but men lie. Men just lie. They don't want to tell you goals. They don't want to tell you what they're doing because they don't want to be accountable. If they open up and they say it, then they're going to be vulnerable and they're not going to do it. Women are great because women are like, I'm going to do this. And they open up and they talk and men are just like, I don't want to do that. And when I wrote the book, when I wrote Upsurge, I was completely vulnerable. You're letting all these people know your inadequacies. And what I learned was like my inadequacies was actually my strength. It's like the fact that I'm willing to go out and say that I'm not perfect, that I've got all these things that I'm working on. 
makes me stronger than the average person that just wants to internalize it and make people think that they're great. My wife and I had had a combined joint midlife crisis when we bought the farm, literally bought the farm. We had chickens, we had goats, we had cows, no cows. We had, we had a horse. We had all this stuff. We just decided to do this, but we had 25 chickens. And, and I have a buddy that grew up on a farm. We didn't have a rooster at the time. And he was like, well, how are you going to have eggs? I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, how are you going to have eggs? You don't have, you don't have a rooster. I'm like, dude, you grew up on a farm. Yeah. I'm like, dude, you don't need a rooster to have eggs. You need a rooster to have eggs fertilized. How do you not know that? He goes, oh, I don't think you're right. And I was like, wait a second. Here's this dude that for years grew up on a farm telling me all this stuff. And the dude's full of crap. And it just dawned on to me. It's like when guys sit around and do stuff like talk about cars, this car's got this engine, it's got this, it's got that. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Man. I don't know anything about cars. I was being honest. They're lying. I found so much of that out. So this idea of being open and being honest and just saying, these are the things I'm working on and I'm in jeopardy of not meeting them and just say, hold me accountable and just tell everybody. And then you start to build out that strength and that muscle where you're like, I am not going to fail because that means everybody. Because I tell people all the time, and I even did this in my book, Upsurge, I was like, I'm going to finish at this time do me a favor and ask me, did I finish on time? Even inside the book, I had built in accountability because I was like, I'm not going to have people come back. Well, did you do that? No, man, I didn't do that. No way. No way. So your next book is due by the end of the year, I assume, end of the right? year. End of the year. And what topic? Is it about refiners? No, the topic is really, the title, as you can imagine, changes, but it's really about how to outlast everything. How to look at anything that comes along in your life and just build a mentality of, of I'm going to outlast it. I've got this opportunity. I've got these problems. I've got these things coming up in my life and just how to build strength to outlast everything. And my mom passed away seven years ago or so. And she actually always said, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. For example, I could look back and think, oh my God, I don't have her anymore. She was such an amazing person. She would live here in Turkey with us now. She would live in the other house that we have on the property. She would teach my daughter so much. She would be so amazing for her to have her. You know, if I think about it, the way I think about it is I'm so grateful that I had this amazing person in my life that taught me so much. Other people don't have parents. I lost my mom like three years ago. And I remember people like, oh man, but you're sad. I'm like, I'm not sad at all. Why should I be sad? Man, the woman left me enough memories to last me a lifetime. She filled the vat of everything. And so it's, she's still here, right? It's how you approach things, right? I mean, you approach things like, oh, I miss her so much. I miss, and I don't because she's with me at all of those things. So it's how you go about reframing it. So I appreciate you saying that because I think we're the same on that. Also just found out I have a condition called aphantasia, which also makes this much easier to deal with. I can't remember, I can't create images in my head. I also cannot remember sounds, tastes, smells, so I can't recreate them. I also cannot recreate emotions. You know? So it's very easy for me to just accept things as they are and not suffer from them too well. But does that mean every time you like try a new food or an old food, it's like a new food? No, I remember it, but I cannot, for example, people say, like, oh, do you remember this feeling? Oh, I get goosebumps thinking about this. This doesn't happen to me. I cannot remember if it's text-based. You know, like, oh, this was really good. This was bad. This happened. But I can't feel it again. So, for example, my daughter, she has like some terrifying experience at the doctor where getting blood drawn and 
And she had a splinter in her foot. And I got the needle out to get the splinter out. And she was reliving this thing that she had with the doctor. I can't relive this stuff like that. Yeah, kind of like a feeling you get when you think about eating the lemon. And that just makes your whole face pucker up. And you get that. You don't get that. So you got to flip the switch and figure out how you make that work for you. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it works amazing for me. I think it's an absolute blessing. I'm I'm very grateful. Exactly. I mean, you you have to. What's the opportunity? What's the outcome? How am I going to make this work for him? What's the alternative? The alternative that is that we're wood and we burn down to ashes, right? And we are in the victim position. Exactly. And that, that sucks. I really love what you're doing. How can people find you and how can people find more about refiners? How can they find this community? Please tell us how. So the refiners community, just probably the best way is refiners community on Facebook. That's probably the best way to, for people to find us. Me, tabpierce.com. People can email me at tabpierce at gmail if they want or tabpierce at, no wait, no, it's tab at tabpierce.com. But that one's kind of weird for me to think about like over redundant use of my name. But yeah, those are probably the, you know, the, the best ways to get a hold of me. The book is available. It's on Amazon. It's print and it's Kindle. It's on Audible. I was going to say lately people like me that like Audible, it's available there. And then yeah, any, anybody that's interested in doing an inexpensive four week course, I'm taking their vision to reality and have, they can reach out to me and learn more about that as well. Awesome. Thank you very much for being on. Again, the book is called Upsurge, The Opportunity Pipeline. Check it out. I'm going to get it on, on Audible and we'll consume it. Peace. Thank you very much for being on the show. Really enjoyed it. Nerding out with you. Yeah, thanks. I did too. Thank you. Is your e-commerce growing so fast that you can't keep up with supporting your customers in real time? Serve them better in any time zone and language. They will thank you with higher conversion rates and repeat purchases. We build and manage your own dedicated customer experience team of live chat and support agents. Get started today. Visit ltvplus.com. That's ltvplus.com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.